We are into the last couple of days of the life of Christ. You think about what you would be thinking about if you were down to your last couple of days. You knew I have just two, maybe three more days left till, till I die. And there'd be all kinds of thoughts that would be going through our minds, wouldn't they? But then to go to a place of, of, of thinking about where, where Jesus was at. It wasn't just that, that he was going to die, but that he was going to um, take the, the fullness of the wrath that we deserved upon himself. That he was going to become sin for us. He who knew no sin was going to become sin for us as he hung on the cross. think about dying frequently as far as I like to think about it because it forces me to keep my mind fixed upon living well. Um, Think of of if this were my last day or if this is my last week and um, how would I want to finish? And there's only been a, a couple times that I, I felt like I was, I was close to, to death. Well, one time was in Africa flying from Sudan back to Kenya, and we hit the storm, that, this little, little tiny caravan plane, and we hit this storm, and we were dropping hundreds of feet at a time, and it, everybody in that plane thought we were going down. Um, if I would have known beforehand that we were going to have a, a plane ride like that, I, I wouldn't have been getting on that plane. There's no way. I mean, it was, I remember just looking out the window thinking, okay, this is how I'm going to meet you, Lord. <laughs> we're going down. Um, the plane behind us went down and landed in some brush and they survived, but it was one of those things where we could hear and like, we went down. And I'm listening to this thing. I'm going down. We're going down. This plane is going down. I'm going to die. And all I just remember thinking, like, I can't wait to see you, Lord. Just please don't make it hurt. Like, don't make it hurt. <laughs> and then my mind started freaking out. Like, what if I'm the only one that survives, but everybody else dies, and I'm maimed, and I'm, like, in war zone of Sudan, and, and started just thrashing myself. But I don't know what it feels like to, to crash in a plane. And to be maimed. I don't know what it feels like to, to, to die like that. Um, but I'd still be fearful of it. Whereas you think of Christ and he created the nerve endings that he knew would be pierced with stakes. He knew the details, all of the details of what was going to take place in the up coming days. Every detail. Better than any of us could ever even describe something. He knew it all together. He knew that he was going to do something much more than be tortured and die, but he knew that he was going to take the wrath that we deserved upon himself. He was going to become sin for us. He knew all of it all together to the point where in this particular section of, of Scripture, that we've been looking at in, in John chapter 12. 
you, you hear him say things like, now my soul is troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. My soul's troubled now. What do I say? The time has come for me to go to the cross. So my soul's troubled. I'm overwhelmed with all that is going to take place. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. God, glorify your name as I go to the cross, Christ says. And then there's this loud voice from heaven that comes saying, I've both glorified it and will glorify it again. And then for the people who stood by and heard it said that it had thundered and others said an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for you or for your sake. And now we come to the text that we'll be looking at this morning. So this anguish has been upon him. The father has just spoken to him. He knows that it's the last couple days of, of his life, he knows that this is the last public sermon that he's going to do as far as to a broader audience. After this, we'll see him speak to the disciples and individuals, but this is the last time that he's speaking to everybody. And as we look at this, let's just look at what he says as he speaks to the people. He says here in verse 31, Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. And this he said, signifying by what death he would die. The people answered him, We've heard from the law that Christ remains forever. That the Christ remains forever. And how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And then Jesus said to them, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you may have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. So we hear these last words in Jesus' public sermon that he's giving, this exhortation that's going out to these people. And it begins by saying, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Um, He's talking about something as if it has already happened. Because with absolute surety, Christ knows that this will happen. I think of all that has been taking place in the three years of Jesus' ministry. Of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees. And all of these people who are just... looking for an opportunity to take his life. They're planning, they're scheming, they're doing all that they possibly can to get to a place of putting Christ to death. They've picked up rocks to throw at him and he's departed. And there's been a number of circumstances where they're just in their minds thinking, how can we do this? How can we kill him? How can we put him to death? We think of of Satan being there and, and Satan from the time that he was cast out of, of, of heaven and from the time of the fall in the garden he knew that his day was coming where he would be destroyed we see this just incredible attempts of Satan to, to destroy and, and, to, and to kill the seed who was going to come um, we 
think of even in the, the very beginning of the life of Christ where Satan's scheming to put all of the, the babies to, to death. I almost got it. All, all the babies to death, the male children, because in his mind it's how do I destroy him? And yet what was about to take place on the cross, I can imagine the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the government leaders, all these people who hate Christ, all these people that are saying, crucify him, crucify him. In their minds, watching him as he's being scourged or watching him as he's being mocked or watching him as these stakes are placed into his hands and into his feet and, and they're hanging upon the cross and breathing his last and in their minds, they're thinking, we won. I mean, the, 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 the horror of, of, of picturing these people seeing their the creator of this universe upon a cross and just filled with joy that they've won. They've won, that they've been victorious. Satan looking upon all of it and just within his, his being, just thinking, this is glorious of what's taking place right now. Filled with, with just wicked joy of what is occurring upon the cross. And yet in our text, Jesus says he's thinking about exactly what it is that's going to happen. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. We know with, with absolute certainty that, that as Christ is going to the cross, he's the one that's being victorious. They're filled with joy as far as like, we are winning, we have won. And Jesus is saying, no, this is the judgment of this world. Even though the cross is a couple days away, He's looking at this and saying, this sinful and broken world will be judged and Christ, through the cross, will be victorious over the world. He'll conquer man's sin. He'll conquer death and the darkness that covers this world. Satan will be cast out. The verb that's used there in the Greek of Satan being cast out is, is giving the idea of a gradual process. Um, he's talking about what's taking place, but saying that it's going to happen not immediately, but it's a gradual process because we know that even today, Satan is, is still out tempting and he's out accusing and he's out condemning and we're yet nevertheless aware that his destiny is already determined. What Christ accomplished, what he accomplished on the cross determined Satan's destiny. I think of Revelation 20 verse 10 where it says, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Radical words. Looking at this in the Revelation, it's this is what's happening. You'll see this take place. Satan's destination is already determined. He will be cast out. He'll be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. And he will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. He's out tempting and seeking to kill and to destroy and doing all that he does as he's here today in this world. And yet God says, this is what your destination is. You will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. There's no way for him to escape it. And we know that that was accomplished through the cross. 
Colossians 2.15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And so Jesus, as he's there and thinking of going to the cross, he's thinking of what is going to be accomplished as if it has already happened. The world will be judged as a result of this. Satan will be cast out for all eternity. From there in verse 32, we looked at this primarily last week, and Jesus says, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. If I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all peoples to myself. And hasn't that taken place? Christ saying this and thinking already of being lifted up from the earth. He's saying this and as he says this, he's picturing nails in his hands, nail in, a nail in his feet, being lifted up from the earth, becoming sin for us just as that serpent was lifted up there in the camp as the people were bit by snakes. So would the Son of Man be lifted up. And he's saying, if I am lifted up, if I go to the cross, if I am crucified, I will draw all peoples to myself. I'll draw them to myself. And we know that has occurred. When you think about this, you have Jesus with 12 disciples. Jesus with 12 disciples there, and he lives on this earth for a little over 30 years. He has a public ministry of three years. He does all kinds of miracles. He raises people from the dead. He makes people who are blind able to see. He does all kinds of things to show his deity. And then a couple days before his death, he says, I will draw all peoples to myself if I'm lifted up. As I was thinking about this over the last couple weeks, um, my mind just went to this earth that we live in today. I was thinking, I, I've, I've been to 40-some different countries and served in different places in ministry, and my mind goes to all kinds of different places where I've worshipped with believers. Places where you would just never expect to find a believer. Out in the middle of the bush in Africa and under a tree and having these people and they have their cross and they're there and they're singing. I mean, songs that go through my mind, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And just the joy of these people singing there under a giant tree in South Sudan. Picturing Christians in, in Burma being there and saying, you know, we have the air conditioning, air conditioning is running and let's sing really softly so that nobody hears us singing. But let's worship him. And they're just worshiping him with all that is within them. They're in a little room as they meet to be trained as pastors. Picturing in my mind like refugee camps in, in Thailand to the, to the Karen people. And there and going into classrooms with kids. And they're just singing. They, every class I went in singing. And I'm saying translate what they're singing. And it's just the most Christ-exalting, worshipful, doctrinally correct songs. And they're just singing with all that is within them there in these little classes. Picturing faces of people in Pakistan there and just singing with all that is within them. Studying God's word. You can see on their faces they're just taking in every word because they just want to know more about their Savior. 
pastors there in Vietnam where they're there and I've been with them for 10 hours teaching them and, and they're saying, can we start earlier tomorrow? We want to learn more. Being with them for a week and they're just saying like, just give us more. We want more. And I'm like, I told you everything I know. They just love God's word. They just want to study it, whether it be there or Pastor Don just got back from Peru and talking about what was taking place there or him serving in the Philippines or in China, you know, and I'm talking about where you're, there's just the pastors there and they just, they're so hungry for the word and they all have these little house churches and you have communism there and yet you have the church just flourishing in the most remote places you could ever imagine these farmers that are out there and they just love God's word and you could go any place in the world there's there's places that I just I wish I could get I wish I could go to North Korea because I know that there's something radical taking place there we just can't know about it there's people being put to death for their faith and there's those that are believers there you know it's taking place you have people in Korea that are sitting like balloons over with the gospel attached to it and they fall down at certain times. You know that there's people that are getting those and they're reading it. You know that they're hearing about the gospel in Korea. We just don't know all, or North Korea, but we just don't know all that's taking place there. You could go to any part of this world, and I know there's still unreached people groups, but there's people that are just passionate about finding every unreached people group and sharing the gospel there. But you could go to almost any place in the world and you're going to find believers there. To think about that and Jesus saying, and if I am lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all peoples to myself. What drew us to Christ? What drew us? The Holy Spirit obviously drew us, but the Holy Spirit drew us as he showed us what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. I mean, to, to see the kind of love that the Father has for us to give us his Son, to see the love that the Son has for us to become sin for us, to live a perfect life and to become sin for us so that we could have his righteousness and, and he would take all of our sin. To be able to serve a God who shows us love that is not like any other kind of love that anybody has ever known of as far as the creator of this universe becoming a man, the least of all men, and, and going to the cross for us dying on that cross and rising again on the third day, just like he said, and conquering sin and death. He draws us to himself. He draws us to himself as we look at the cross and we think, there's nothing that I can do to add to that. It's not about making a pilgrimage to Mecca. It's not about trying to build up good karma. It's not about trying to, to, to accomplish this or that or, or do a two-year mission or or whatever every other religion is trying to do as far as this is what you have to do. It's looking upon the cross and just saying, he became sin for us. He died for us. He, he made it so that the entirety of the price was paid. He said on the cross, it is finished, and it was finished, and it was done. And, and we look, and, and, and he tells us, whosoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. And what does it do? It just draws us to him. I need a savior. I need to be forgiven. There's none in all the earth that I worship besides you. He gives us all the details in the Old Testament as far as what was going to take place. All the prophecies saying these are the things that are going to happen so that we can look and see the cross coming and see that it was prophesied beforehand and see that it is true. Without any doubt, it is true. And he's drawn all kinds of people to himself. 
not just draws us, but it draws us with hearts that joyfully worship him because of what he's done. We can't look at the cross and what Christ accomplished for the cross and uh, for us on the cross and just think like, okay, thanks. It just brings us to our knees and brings us to a place of, for me, he paid that price for me. It takes away lukewarm Christian living because we look and we say, I want to follow you. It's the only reasonable thing I can do is to follow you. So Jesus said, and I, if I'm lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all peoples to myself. Verse 33, the Holy Spirit gives us this just to make absolutely sure that we know what he's saying. He said this signifying by what death he would die. He's saying this so that we know that he is talking about the cross. And the people answered him saying, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? You say that the Son of Man must be lifted up, but we're told that he's supposed to remain forever. How do you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? That phrase, the Son of Man, where did it come from? Um, We know that he uses it here. Um, Just a few verses earlier, Jesus says to them, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. It's a a title that is used over 80 times in Scripture and in, in in the Gospels. In the Gospels alone, over 80 times. But this idea of the Son of Man, we see that, that from the very beginning, there's this plan that the seed would come from Adam, and, and, and there's following the seed, and following it through Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and watching these promises that are given. Hearing from the prophet Isaiah, where he says, For unto us a child is born. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It goes on and says, and it will be even forever. There's one that is coming, the Son of Man. It's a child who is going to be born. A son that will be given, and he will be called Mighty God. He will be called Everlasting Father. This idea of the Son of Man, we find it again in Daniel's vision as he's looking towards heaven, and he says in Daniel 7, 13, I was watching in the night visions. I'm looking, and I see in the night visions. And behold, one like the Son of Man, that phrase, one like the, the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. There in Daniel 7, looking at it, one Son of Man coming. It's talking about him, the deity that is there. And then we, we look and we, and we see over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. Jesus referring to himself as what it was talking about in Isaiah chapter 9, what it was talking about in Daniel chapter 7, what it's talking about all throughout the Old Testament as you're looking at the one that is going to come, the seed that is going to come, that is going to be our Messiah. 
It says in John 3, 13, if you want to turn there, let's just look at a couple verses here. John 3, 13. Here it says, No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So these guys are saying, who is the Son of Man? Who is it? We thought that, that, that he'd live forever. You're saying that he's going to be lifted up. Who is the Son of Man? And we find it where Jesus is speaking about this throughout the entirety of his ministry. No one has ascended to heaven. But he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. The Son of Man, the one who has always existed, his deity. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This idea of the Son of Man must be lifted up and whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You will have eternal life life if you believe in the Son of Man. In John 6, 62, I'll just read it for you. He says, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend from where he was before? You'll see the Son of Man and he is going to ascend. He is going to go back up where? To where he was before. He has always been there from the very beginning, the Son of Man. And so here's these people and they're saying, who is the Son of Man? And Jesus is saying, All throughout his ministry, I am the son of man. I am the one that Isaiah was talking about. I am the one that Daniel was talking about. I am the one that scripture was talking about. I am the one who came down from above. I am the one that will go back up to where I was. I am the one who is the son of man. I am the one that if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. I think it's awesome in in Revelation chapter 1. Turn there, the last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 12. Where you see here, um, John just describing what he's seen. And he says, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am who lives. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Just radical when you see this. Who is the Son of Man? And we get fast forwarded by John to see things that are taking place in the future. And they're looking. He's saying, here's the Son of Man. Here's the Son of Man. He, he's there and... He's got this garment that goes down to his feet and there's this golden band that goes around his chest and his hair is white like wool. 
as white as snow. His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet are like fine brass. His voice is like the sound of many waters. And he's there and he shines like the sun and it's full strength. And I just collapsed before him. The son of man. Who is the son of man? The one in whom John says, I just fell down. I fell down before him. And what does Jesus do? I love this. Don't be afraid. I know like I'm shining like the sun in its full strength. I know my eyes look like fire. But don't be afraid because I'm the first and the last. I've always existed. I'm God. I am he who lives and was dead. I'm the one that was lifted up. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. I'm never going to have to go to the cross again. I hold the keys of Hades and of death. I hold those keys. I conquered sin and death on the cross, and now I hold the keys. And whosoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. Which is radical. And you have these guys, it's just like, okay, well, who is the Son of Man? And yet it's, Jesus just, if you only knew, if you only had listened, if you only, this is who I am. This is what I have been saying. It has been talking, I've been, the scriptures have been talking about me from the very beginning. And in the book of Revelation, you will see this description of me. And for all eternity, I will be the son of man that shines like the sun. But rather, Jesus says to them in verse 35, a little while longer, if you turn back to me, John twelve thirty five. A little while longer, the light is with you. A little while longer, the light is with you. Just a little bit. He knows that the time of his departure is at hand. He knows that he only has a couple days. A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light. Walk. Lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. Walk while you have the light. There's a little bit longer that you have the light with you. I mean, imagine these guys. They, they're, they're saying, who is the son of man? And yet he is there with them. He is the light and he is shining. He is the creator of this universe and he is with them. And he has performed all kinds of miracles. And he's spoken like nobody has ever spoken before. And he is about to fulfill all the prophecies that are given referring to the cross and what was going to take place. And Jesus just says, I'm with you for a little bit longer. Walk while you have the light. Walk now. I think that um, although we don't have Jesus in the flesh with us today, there are times in our lives in which the Lord will bring the gospel to people. And you will find their hearts growing harder and harder against it. Um, there comes a point where the gospel does not come to them anymore. Or there's just such hardness of heart. I, I say this because if there's 
If there's an unbeliever here this morning, you come every week or you've come for the first time or you come every once in a while, but you're an unbeliever, this same thing would be spoken to you. Walk while you have the light. I mean, we could sit down with you and go through Scripture and show you all of the prophecies that were given and how they were fulfilled. We could go through and show you how we know without a doubt that this book that was written over a period of, of 1,600 years by 40 different authors on three different continents and three different languages, by all different kinds of people, how it all is in unity pointing to Christ, who is a Savior, who is to come. We could go to you and show you the resurrection and all that has taken place as far as how we know that Christ rose again from the dead. Him appearing to, to 5,000 people. Him working to where the disciples who wandered and fled and denied him followed him once they saw him risen from the dead, most all of them suffering a martyr's death. We could go through and just say, here is all the evidence of it. But the fact is, as Jesus would be saying to you, walk while you have the light, walk. From there, he says, while you have the light, in verse 36, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Walk while you have the light. Don't let darkness overtake you. Believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. Charles Spurgeon, in preaching on this section on May 15th of 1887, said this, between this Sabbath and next Sabbath, some in the ranks of our membership will have passed into heaven. And some out of our congregation will have been called to stand before God. I feel, therefore, like the guard of a train that is just ready to start. The time is up for us to be off. The guard's whistle has been blown. But there is somebody who wants to talk to me about politics. Or there's another person who wants to discuss a theological difficulty. I feel bound to say, sir, the time is up. We must start at once. Will you come on board or must you be left behind? You could be in a place of like, I just want to talk politics, or I want to talk about like all the things that I've looked at. There, oh, these here's a question. I could probably stump you with this. And he's just saying, you know what? From this Sabbath to next Sabbath, we're going to lose people. I mean, they had a much bigger church than we have, and hopefully that's not the case for us. But you don't know. Like you just don't know. Like between this Sabbath and next Sabbath, it's like a train. We're ready to go. Spurgeon just want to say, sir, the time's up. We must start at once. Will you come on board or will you be left behind? Walk while you have the light. Walk. Lest darkness overtake you, he who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. The person who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. But while you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. Believe and you will become sons of the light. That is what has happened to us as believers, isn't it? We've become sons of the light. We once were walking in darkness and we didn't know where we were going. We were just walking, doing the best that we could, trying to be the best people we possibly could, possibly. 
or maybe not. Maybe just trying to just feed all that your flesh desired. Maybe being in a place of just trying to to eat and drink and be merry because you just didn't know when you're going to die and you're just trying to live it up. But maybe not. Maybe you tried to live the best that you possibly could. Um, trying to leave some kind of legacy behind. Trying to do something to make it so that you left your stamp on this world. Trying to do something so that people would remember your name. But you didn't know where you were going. How many people are on their deathbed and they're on their deathbed and they have built up this little tiny empire, but nobody cares anymore, nor do they care. How many people go to their deathbed and their kids don't even want to be there? How many people are in those kind of circumstances where it's just, as Solomon says, it's just vanity, vanity, it's all vanity, it's, it's, it's all nothing. It's like soap bubbles that just, they look so good. You just reach out, you do everything you can to grab it and just slime in your hand. It's nothing, it's what the world is like. But when you're a son of the light, when you're a children of the light, it's the opposite. You're not walking in darkness. You know where you're going. All of a sudden, you're able to see clearly, don't we? Can't we? For me, I look at just where I'm going. It's very clear where I'm walking. It's very clear for you as Christians where you're walking we listen to Christ, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. Clarity that's there. How are you saved? He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who believes in Christ has everlasting life. We see what God says in his word and we see where we want to go and we're determined to get there. I know that there's a finish line for me at some point. And I know as I run to that finish line, the light has come to a place where I know that I can run, but apart from him, I can't do anything. Just radical. It's not about like me just like, okay, this is it. I'm going to do this. I know like I'm, I got this race that's set before me and apart from him, I can't do anything. We know that our ultimate goal in this life is to glorify God. When we make decisions, we live in as children of the light to where all of a sudden it's not about like, I don't even know what the purpose of life for is. We know, we know that the purpose of our life is to glorify him and to enjoy him. We know that to be the case, don't we? We think of passages like Hebrews 12 where it says in verse one, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And so we picture this race that's before us and it's not like we're walking in darkness and we have no idea where we're going anymore. We just think, I got a race and I'm gonna run and I got weights that are there and sometimes I don't even know what the weights are and sometimes I put the weights back on but when there's clarity of mind, I wanna take the weights off and I wanna get rid of the sin that so easily ensnares me and I wanna run with endurance. I wanna run and I wanna get to the finish line and I wanna look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. My eyes are fixed upon him. We walk in the light. There's a change that's taking place. We want to redeem the time. You look at it in Ephesians chapter 5 where it says, See then that you walk circumspectly or carefully, not as fools but as wise, 
redeeming the time because the days are evil. And so we think of that and just say, okay, as I run this race, as I walk in the light, I want to use my time in a way that is good, in a way that is glorifying to God. I don't want to try to build up just material things, treasures here on earth, but I want to build up treasures in heaven. I want to be in a place where I'm using my time well. I want to think about, like, how do I use my day? How am I using my life as far as loving my spouse or loving my children or loving my neighbor or serving within my church? Or how am I being at a place where I'm making disciples and proclaiming the gospel and seeing people come to know Christ? How am I shining brightly as a light? This is my goal. This is my passion. This is what I want. I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be in a place where I've taken the gift that God's given me and I've buried it and I've wasted it. I want to redeem the time that I have. I want to walk carefully. I want to walk in the light. I want to do what pleases him. This is my direction. This is how I live. I want to just get rid of sin. I want to just pray that God enables me to have the strength to flee whatever temptation because it just brings me down and I want to walk carefully and I want to use my time in a way that God's most glorified and there is a goal and I'm running towards it and I don't know how many days I have but I want him to be glorified and I want to have joy in the midst of all of it as I live for him. We're children of the light. We walk in the light. We know where we're going. We know that we're called to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and to love our neighbor as yourself. We know that. We know as we go about our day and start, what am I to do today? I want to love him. All my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, I want to love him. And I want to love my neighbor the same way that I'd want to be loved. That's what I want to do today. I want to shine brightly as he shines through me. I want to do that today. I want to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. That's my goal today. When I walk through the door, when I get home, I want to love her like that. I want, I want to be an example to my kids. I want to point them towards Christ. I want to witness to my neighbor. I want to be holy as he is holy. 1 Peter 1, 16. I want the fruit of the Spirit to come forth from my life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want that pouring forth from my life. I want to stir up the gifts that the Lord has given me. 2 Timothy 1.6 I want to worship Him in spirit and in truth. I want to praise Him with all that is within me. I want to be someone who prays and who takes my cares and places it upon him. I want to worship him as I pray. I want to just reflect that I trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. I want to pray to him like that throughout this life. I'm not on my own. I'm not by myself. I can seek wisdom from him and I can trust him. I want his word to be in me. I want to spend time in his word. The psalmist says, with my whole heart I've sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I want your word to be just in me. That's my goal is to have it be where it's in me. And I learn to think biblically and I, I bleed Bible as I speak. I think biblically as I think. And then, like the Apostle Paul, 
We say, I know whom I believed, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. We know that we believe in him. We know that he will keep us to the very end. We know that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. But we're not like those that walk in darkness. There is a very specific reason for why we live and why we exist. And there is this race, and he tells us how to run it. And we are not like those that don't know where they're going. We're not like those that are just like, I don't know the meaning of life. We know the meaning of life, and we know what Christ has accomplished for us, and we run, and we run hard, and we look towards him. There is a difference. And so Jesus here in our passage is saying to these people, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and then he departed, and he was hidden from them. And we will go into the last couple days of his life from this point on. I pray that today would be the day of salvation for anybody here who's still walking in darkness and not knowing where they're going. Um, It's through faith in Christ, believing in him. Whosoever believes in the Son has life. Believe that Christ died on the cross and took your sins upon himself and he gives you his righteousness. Believe that he is God Almighty and he became the son of man to be our Messiah. It talked about him all throughout the Old Testament and it came about. Um, You just look at the section that we looked at this morning. I will be lifted up. I will draw all peoples to myself. That alone, he fulfilled it in its entirety. May today be the day that you believe. And for us as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers, as children of the light, let's walk in the light. Let's walk in it. Let's do what God's called us to do through his enabling and for his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for our time and your word this morning in the Gospel of John. What an amazing passage this is before us. You have drawn us to yourself, Lord, and you have made us children of light through faith in you. And I pray, Lord, that um, you would use this passage just to work mightily in anybody's life that is here who has still been in that place of walking in darkness. Um, We know, Lord, that as a result of the cross, you did something radical. Even at one time, bringing 3,000 people to salvation. May today be the day that one or two or five people here are saved. Walking in the light. We know, Lord, that you're able to accomplish that. And we pray for that this morning. May we now worship you in spirit and in truth and with all that is within us. In Jesus' name, amen.